Yeah, we're up to uh, 1 Kings chapter 15 is where we stopped last time. Remember, we're still dealing with the divided nation of Israel in our passage today. There's the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. And I know if, uh, if you're not familiar with this section of scripture, it gets a little confusing because you see Israel and your first thought is it's talking about the whole nation. But you have to pay attention in these sections here and even through the rest of the Old Testament. Uh, a lot of times it's referring to Israel. It means the northern kingdom and Judah is referred to as the southern kingdom. So that will help as you read through some of those passages. At the beginning of chapter 15 last time, uh, we got to see a couple of the kings that the Lord had allowed to be over Judah. And uh, we first saw Abijam, who was king for only three years. He was an evil king, like his father, King Rehoboam, or King Rob, as I called him. Uh, then next we saw King Asa come in after him. He was a good man, and he had a long time to reign there. He was there for over 41 years. Uh, he got a little sloppy spiritually toward the end of his reign, uh, and that's a good lesson for us that we want to be consistent all the way to the end. So we saw, though, that even though he had a very strong heart and a good start for the Lord, uh, he didn't finish too well. He was kind of weaker in his faith at the end of his reign. His faith had grown weak, and uh, that's something we want to be aware of. We want to continue to grow closer and deeper with the Lord and not, not drift away. Now, in the section we're going to look at today, the Lord's going to shift our attention to see some of the kings who were in the northern kingdom of Israel. And uh, just as a heads up, they had a lot of kings that ruled in the northern kingdom, but they were all evil. <laughs> they never had one good king. So it's really a sad testimony there. Uh, they had opportunity, but they never took that opportunity. So let's jump back into 1 Kings chapter 15, and we're going to look down to verse 25. That's where we got to last time. Now Nadab, the son of Jeroboam, King Jerry there I call him, became king over Israel in the second year of Asa, king of Judah, and he reigned over Israel two years. So we're introduced here to uh, Nadab, and it says there in verse 26, he did evil in the sight of the Lord, he walked in the way of his father, and in his sin by which he had made Israel sin. So we see that he had a very short reign of two years. He was the son of Jerry, and unfortunately you could tell it because he liked sin as much as his father did. He kept all the sin going that his daddy had been involved in. We notice something here too. I don't want to miss in this verse 26. Uh, where does it say that he did evil? In the sight of the Lord, right? And that is so important for us to see. For one thing, the Lord is who, the one that declares what is evil. If he says something is evil, then it is evil, period. No questions, no controversy over that. It is evil. The Lord calls it, okay? And for another thing, the Lord sees when evil's going on. So if someone has done evil to you, and you don't have to worry about that they might get away with it because the Lord sees everything. Nothing escapes his sight. No one's going to get away with anything. So be encouraged with that. Uh, unfortunately, we got that verse 26. That's kind of that one verse uh, evaluation from the Lord. This guy is not a good guy. Uh, verse 27, Then Baasha, the son of Ahijah of the house of Issachar, conspired against him. And it says, And Baasha killed him at Jibbethon, which belonged to the Philistines, 
while Nadab and all Israel laid siege to Jibbethon. So what's going on here, there was a battle taking place where Israel, the other kingdom here, was trying to take the land back at Jibbethon. And it appears that while this battle was taking place, Baasha saw his opportunity to kill Nadab, even though they would have been fighting on the same side. <laughs> you know, it's a pretty crazy, uh, wicked thing here. It says that Baasha was conspiring against him. So that means there was a plan he had in place to take him out, to kill King Nadab. And the lesson we see is when you're living in a wicked land with wicked rulers, you can't turn your back on anyone because <laughs> you don't know which one's coming after you, right? And when you look at things like this, you would think, why would anyone want to live in such a violent, dangerous place? I mean, if this is what wickedness produces, then let's get back to righteous living with righteous rulers. It's got to be a much safer place to live, you know? Verse 28 goes on. Baasha killed him in the third year of Asa, king of Judah, and reigned in his place. So it's telling us here that Asa, the king of the southern part, the king of Judah, he was only in his third year of reign when uh, Baasha pulled this little deal about, about killing the king, okay? So it gives us kind of a timeline so you can kind of keep track of what's going on in both kingdoms. The Lord kind of puts it up there once in a while just to let you see. And we're going to get an interesting insight to that as we get a little further in here too. Verse 29, and so it was when he became king, Baasha, that he killed all the house of Jeroboam. He did not leave to Jeroboam anyone that breathed until he had destroyed him. And this has all been according to the word of the Lord, which he had spoken by his servant Ahijah the Shilonite. And uh, it goes on to say, because of the sins of Jeroboam, that's why the Lord did this, which he had sinned and by which he had made Israel sin because of his provocation with which he had provoked the Lord God of Israel to anger. So the Lord had already said because Jeroboam had brought so much sin into God's people and had led them down that road with no repentance or anything that he was going to pay a price for that. And the price was his family line would be cut off. All, all the people would be wiped out with very horrible deaths. If you want to Look at that a second. We saw that in chapter 14, down to verse 9. I can read that to you. Uh, chapter 14 of First Kings, down to verse 9. But you have done more evil than all who were before you. For you have gone and made for yourself other gods and molded images to provoke me to anger and have cast me behind your back. Therefore, behold, I will bring disaster on the house of Jeroboam and will cut off from Jeroboam every male in Israel, bond and free. I will take away the remnant of the house of Jeroboam as one takes away refuse until it is all gone. Uh, the dogs shall eat whoever belongs to Jeroboam and dies in the city. The birds of the air shall eat whoever dies in the field, for the Lord has spoken. <clears throat> so this was a fulfillment of that prophecy that that was going to take place. And uh, the Baasha there was the king that the Lord was going to use uh, as his vessel of judgment here to fulfill that prophecy against Jerry and his family. And again, that, that the animals eating the, the people and stuff, that meant that every one of these members of his family was going to have a violent death, and none of them would have any decent burial. 
And in that culture, that was a very disgraceful thing. You know, it was like they should respect the body and, and give it a decent burial. But in this case, the Lord said, that's not going to happen. And it's all a judgment because of the wickedness that Jeroboam led the people in. Uh, back to our passage in chapter 15, if you look down to verse 31. Now the rest of the acts of Nadab and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Israel? And there was war between Asa and Baasha, king of Israel, all their days. So Baasha kept the wars going between the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom of Israel. And again, these are Jews fighting Jews. So this is a very sad predicament uh, going on. And it's just one of the things that can happen when you let wickedness come in. Now you don't deal with that. Verse 33, in the third year of Asa, king of Judah. So again, in the southern kingdom here, we've got Asa. He's not been in the kingdom uh, as king here too long. During that time, though, it says, Baasha, the son of Ahijah, became king over all Israel, that's northern Israel, in Terzah. And he reigned 24 years. Now this uh, kind of declares for us what's the capital of the northern kingdom at that time. And it was Terzia. And it tells us too how long that Baasha was king over the northern kingdom. He's going to last for 24 years. That's a pretty long reign. And as somebody said, that means the Lord gave him 24 years to repent. But he never did. You know, so yeah, when you look at these guys, it's kind of interesting if you keep that in your mind that everyone that the Lord says, here's how long they were reigning in the northern kingdom of Israel. He's saying, basically, this is how long I gave them to repent. And some were given more time than others, which is kind of interesting. Don't know the reason for that. We can ask the Lord one day, why did you give this guy such a short time and this guy a longer time? And I don't know what the answer is. Maybe the Lord's going to say, well, this guy had a little bit more, he had more goodness in him and he had a much better opportunity to repent. He just never stepped up to do that. Don't know. Because we don't know sometimes why does the Lord give some people longer and some people shorter. We don't have the answer. Verse 34 says, He did evil in the sight of the Lord, and he walked in the way of Jeroboam and in his sin by which he made, had made Israel sin. So there's that one sentence evaluation again. <laughs> you sure don't want to have a reputation like that. Okay, Chapter 16, Then the word of the Lord came to Jehu, the son of Hanani, against Baasha. So here's the Lord. He's sending a prophet in order to get the king's attention and give him a great opportunity to repent. You know, we see this over and over when these guys come in and uh, they're going to be there for a little time. The Lord sends a prophet and he tries to wake them up. Uh, they don't accept it, but the Lord is very faithful and it shows us something about our God. He loves to bring people to himself if they will listen. So this shows us how much the Lord cares about people. You know, even though they're really into practicing evil, which these guys are, the Lord still sends prophets to them and still tries to wake them up. And of course, we get a good lesson from that too. Uh, we may look at somebody and say, man, that guy, psh, he's in so much junk, he, he's never going to come to Christ. That we don't, have an op we don't have the right to make that kind of judgment. We need to give them the gospel too. You never know. The Lord saved the Apostle Paul. <laughs> he's one of those guys you would have said, there's no way. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, don't, don't judge people that way. We're supposed to give the gospel to every creature, right? Uh, go on to verse 2. The Lord here is sending this message by the prophet Jehu, and he says, Inasmuch as I lifted you out of the dust 
and made you ruler over my people, Israel. So the Lord clearly lets him know the only reason that you're in such a high office is because I put you there, <laughs> you know? And, and some say that phrase where it says, I lifted you out of the dust. It meant that he was from a poor background and he didn't have anything going for him. So you would think these people would be the most grateful, but that's not the case. You know, sometimes they are, sometimes they figure, I deserve this. So here's this guy, the Lord reached into his life and exalted him, and you'd think that he'd be humbled and be grateful to the Lord, but we don't see any of that, unfortunately. He goes on, the Lord told him, you're provoking me with anger too. Verse three, surely I will take away the, pros the posterity <coughs> excuse me, of Baasha and the posterity of his house. He's gonna take it away. And I will make your house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. He says, the dog shall eat whatever, whoever belongs to Baasha and dies in the city. The birds of the air shall eat whoever dies in the fields. Since he followed the footsteps of Jerry concerning sin, now he's gonna to have to suffer the divine judgment just like Jerry did. Man, that judgment you know, was saying that it would be a violent death again for all of his family and their bodies would become animal food because no one even cared about him enough to give them a decent burial. There were people around who saw this stuff going on and you know, if somebody looked at him, they probably thought, nah, not worth the trouble. Let the animals feed on them, you know. You would hope, when you see stuff like that, you would hope when, when we leave this world that there would be somebody who cared, you know. Can you imagine living such a lifestyle and being surrounded by people where nobody cares? Yeah, but in the, it's not in the case of the family here that they're going to find somebody like that. Uh, people, they were probably glad that they were gone, somebody said. You know, that's, that's pretty rough. Uh, but don't miss something here, the, the boldness of Jehu, the prophet the Lord sent here. He was willing to speak to an evil king face to face and tell him exactly what the Lord says. You know, we need such boldness as we see the evil growing stronger in our society too. Because it is intimidating, you know, when you hear our, our culture uh, promoting evil over good and then we're supposed to give them the good news of the gospel. It can have an effect on us that kind of backs us off a little bit, but we need to say, Lord, make us, make us more bold. As the evil grows, give us more boldness. Don't let that back us off. Now go on to verse five. Now the rest of the acts of Baasha, what he did and his might, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Israel? So Baasha rested with his fathers and was buried in Terzah. Then Eli, then Elah, I'm sorry, his son reigned in his place. So we're now introduced to the next king here, and his name is Elah. Verse 7 says, Also the word of the Lord came by the prophet Jehu, the son of Hananiah, against Baasha and his house. So the Lord acknowledges this again. And it says, Because of all the evil that he did in the sight of the Lord, in provoking him to anger with the work of his hands, and being like the house of Jeroboam, and because he killed them. So the Lord adds something here to let us know that the judgment against Baasha was also because he killed Jerry's family line. God's going to hold him accountable for that. And that's something to, to chew on a little bit. So 
Baasha was a vessel that the Lord was going to use for judgment, but he was also going to hold Baasha accountable for killing them all. And I like the way that somebody explained this, so let me, let's walk through this one a minute here. There are times when we see the Lord use an evil person or even an evil nation in his word here as his instrument of judgment. But then he holds them accountable for the evil actions they took in that judgment, okay? And here's the explanation that makes sense to me. You take an evil king like Baasha, for instance. He already had it in his heart to take over the kingdom and to eliminate all of Jeroboam's family line so that no one would come after him to kill him for revenge. And that was pretty normal during that time. When you took over a kingdom, you didn't want any of the kids to say, hey, that belongs to us, we're gonna come after you. So it was pretty common for them to do that, okay? So the Lord didn't have to twist his arm to do that. He was already willing and able. All the Lord had to do was to kind of step out of the way and allow it. So Baasha was guilty for slaughtering them and the Lord was gonna hold him accountable. And I think that's the pattern we see when the Lord may use evil people or evil nations, he will still hold them accountable for the actions that they take. And because it's already in their heart, they already deserve the judgment, okay? Uh, chew on that one, think that one through. Uh, verse eight, in the 26th year of Asa, king of Judah, Elah, the son of Baasha, became king over Israel and he reigned two years in Terza. So uh, he's given credit here with a two-year reign at this point. Verse 9, now his servant Zimri, commander of half of his chariots, which that's a pretty high position in the military here, he conspired against him as he was in Terza. And notice what the king was doing, drinking himself drunk in the house of Arzah, steward of his house in Terza. So while King Elah was busy getting drunk one night, one of the commanders of his army named Zimri was busy making plans to take him down and then take over the kingdom himself. Yeah, what kind of leader, you know, do you want taking time out to get himself good and drunk? Oof, we don't need that. Verse 10, and Zimri went in and struck him and killed him in the 27th year of Asa, king of Judah. And he, Jimri is talking about here, reigned in the place of Elah. So we're told here it was during the 26th year of King Asa's reign in the southern kingdom that Elah became the king in the north. And then it mentions in the 27th year of Asa's reign, Elah was killed. Wait a minute, we only got one year there. And yet it says he reigned for two years. Uh, in the Jewish way of looking at things, they call this a two-year reign, even though it was probably closer to just a little over one year. And since the second year may have started, but the Jews, they still count a part of a year as a year. And that's their way of thinking. And we can understand that a little bit when we, you know, when you think about the, Jesus said, in three days I will rise from the dead. We know it was a portion of the day. It didn't have to be those complete hours. Some, some theologians like to argue for that, but in the Jewish way of thinking, this is the way they, they, they counted things and they calculated. Verse 11 goes on, then it came to pass when he began to reign, so this is Zimri now after taking over, he's one of the commanders of half of the chariots and he took out, took out the king. So now when he, when he uh, came to pass when he began to reign, as soon as he was seated on his throne, 
that he killed all the house of, household of Baasha. He did not leave him one male, neither of his relatives nor of his friends. So look how careful and conniving this Zimri was. He wasn't just going to wipe out the household and the family line of King Baasha, which was kind of normal for that time, but he also went after all the male relatives. So if you're a cousin, you're done. And also his friends. Wow. Yeah, this guy wasn't taking any chances. And uh, you sure didn't want to be considered a friend of that family or you were a goner because he was going to take you out. Mercy sakes. Thus Zimri destroyed all the household of Baasha according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke against Baasha by Jehu the prophet. For all the sins of Baasha and the sins of Elah his son, by which they had sinned and which they had Israel, made Israel sin in provoking the Lord God of Israel to anger with their idols. So the Lord had prophesied that this is going to happen, and it did. And this is more evidence for the northern kingdom of Israel that when the Lord says something, he will keep his word. And whatever he says, it is going to come to pass. Now, this is a great reminder to us, too. We need to pay attention to God's word because he means what he says. And we see that lesson over and over again with these kings here who were uh, fighting God and doing all kinds of wicked stuff. <clears throat> Excuse me. Now, we get an interesting lesson here from Baasha's story. He, he saw up close Jeroboam, how he promoted sin against God. Then he saw how Jeroboam and his family were slaughtered because of that. Wouldn't you think that if, if you saw that and you did the math and you put two and two together, that maybe you would say, I'm not going to live in sin like he did because I don't want to end up like he did and his family to boot. I don't want to see that happen. But instead, Baasha decides to live in all the same sin, and sure enough, he ends up getting his family slaughtered the same way. So what's going on in a guy's mind like that to, to make him do such a foolish thing? I mean, he was right there and saw this, and he could have said, this isn't going to happen. I'm not going to do that. I like what somebody said about this. Sin lies to us and we are easily self-deceived so here's a guy in this position he's thinking to himself probably i can do the sin that he did but i'm not going to end up like him you know i can handle the sin better than he could and i'm not going to allow this sin to destroy my life like i did his life and besides god's not going to punish me like he did that guy those are a lot of the thoughts the enemy throws at us and a lot of the ones we easily grab onto and say, that's right, I'm, sp I'm more special than he is. So it's not going to have that same effect. <laughs> Sin lies to us. Don't, don't believe any of those thoughts. These are the ones that come at us when, when we're dealing with sin. But the Lord is very clear in his word. Here's what the Lord says about sin. Sin leads to death. In other places, he tells us, sin blinds us. Then he says, sin has cords to tie us up and it leads to bondage. Those are, are truths from the Lord that never change, okay? So we are not the exception to the rule. And let me say that again so it really sinks in. We are not the exception to the rule. 
Because that's what thoughts will have, you know, that we're above that. So please don't allow yourself to be deceived in that kind of thinking. Good men and good women have fallen because they believe those lies. So please beware. Now, at the end of verse 13, we notice something here. The Lord declares his anger over the idols. It says, in provoking the Lord God of Israel to anger with their idols. These were the idols that the, the people there were led to worship. And somebody described this, and I thought it was interesting, as kidnapping God's children. I thought that was an interesting description. You know, the Lord wants his children to be close to him. And here you have people and leaders that were drawing them away from him to worship idols. And this person said it this way, how angry would you be if your children were kidnapped? Maybe this helps us understand how deeply the Lord's anger goes over idol worship. Because you see this sometimes and you're thinking, man, why does the Lord keep saying he is so upset about this? He is so angry. So I thought that was a pretty interesting illustration, maybe worth pondering a little bit to help us grasp that some. Verse 14 goes, Now the rest of the acts of Elah and all that he did are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Israel. In the 27th year of Asa, king of Judah, Zimri had reigned in Terza seven days. <laughs> so this is that commander of some of the chariots. He took over and he's been in, in charge for seven days. And the people were encamped at Jimathon, which belonged to the Philistines. So that battle at Jimathon was still going on that Zimri had used to take advantage and uh, to kill the king and do the takeover. Uh, verse 16, now the people who were encamped, they were still at this battle, they heard it said, Zimri has conspired and also has killed the king. So all Israel made Omri, the commander of the army, king over Israel that day in the camp. <laughs> so Zimri might have thought that he was all that when he declared himself to be the king. But as it says here, all Israel didn't agree with that high opinion he had of himself. They had another guy in mind, and he's referred to here as the commander of the army. So Zimri might have had some authority in the army, but Omri was the top dog over the army, okay? And I don't know their specific ranking there, but obviously Omni way outranked Zimri. But at this point now, you've got two guys who have declared the title of king in the northern kingdom of Israel. So you know there's going to be problems somewhere with that one, right? Verse 17, Then Omri and all Israel with him went up from Gibbethon, and they besieged Terza. I remember Terza is the capital. That's where Zimri would be trying to sit on his throne, pretty uncomfortable at this point after seven whole days, and he finds out his own army's coming after him. Uh, so it goes on then in verse, uh, <clears throat> sorry, <clears throat> verse 18. It happened when Zimri saw that the city was taken that he went up into the citadel of the king's house and he burned the king's house down upon himself with fire and he died. <laughs> so he took his toys and he went home, but he ended his own life in the process. And his attitude was that, if I can't be king, then no one else is going to be in the king's house either. I'm going to burn it down, and that'll stop it. Now, with that kind of mentality, it kind of lets you see maybe why the people didn't want him to be king either, right? 
it's like, we know this guy's a little bit off. And this just proves that, okay? Yeah, verse 19, here's, here's why Zimri, he was judged in this too by the Lord with what happened. Because of the sins which he had committed in doing evil in the sight of the Lord, in walking in the way of Jeroboam, and in his sin which he had committed to make Israel sin. So his death, even though it was a suicide situation here, it was seen as a judgment for the sins that he not only followed, but he promoted. Now what's really surprising is that this guy was king for how long? Seven days. <laughs> In that very small amount of time, he not only followed King Jerry's sins himself, he also promoted them and spread them to the people. Well, this guy was a go-getter when it came to sin. And it makes you think about some of the presidents we've seen in our own country there who on the first day they took office, they wanted to sign some of these wicked executive orders to without a murdering of babies and such, you know. It's like they couldn't wait to get their hands covered with the blood of the innocent. Wow. Verse 20, now the rest of the acts of Zimri and the treason he committed, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Israel? So Zimri goes down in the books as one who committed treason. What a legacy, huh? Wow. <laughs> I don't know. I look at these kings in the north, I'm thinking, I think I would move. <laughs> I would say, I'm going south. I've had enough of these crazy guys here doing all their crazy stuff and all the wicked stuff. But the people, they're sticking around for this. Verse 21, then the people of Israel were divided into two parts. Okay? Half of the people followed Timni, the son of Jinnath, to make him king, and half followed Omri. So apparently this idea of kind of having a say-so as who you want to follow as king can have a downside to it, you know? I'm surprised there weren't more political parties that sprang out of this temptation. But apparently the folks said, hey, uh, if they're going to decide who they want as king, we're going to decide too, and we're going to pick our guy. And now, oh, now you got another mess. Verse 22, but the people who followed Omri prevailed over the people who followed Tibni, the son of Jinnath. And that kind of makes sense. Omri was the commander of the army, so I'm sure he had some pretty interesting strategies here to take these other guys out. So Tibni died in Omni raid. Timney here, he didn't just lose the election, he lost his life. Wow, winner takes all, huh? Verse 23, in the 31st year of Asa, king of Judah, Omri became king over Israel, and he reigned 12 years. Six years he reigned in Terzah. So he had a 12-year reign here, and it meant that, you know, he could have repented in those 12 years again, but he didn't. Uh, it goes on there says that six years he reigned in Terza, in verse 24, and he bought the hill of Samaria from Shemur for two talents of silver. Then he built on the hill, and he called the name of the city which he built Samaria, after the name of Shemur, owner of the hill. So for six years, he was content to be in the capital city, apparently, of Terza, but then he decided, we need to move the capital to another location. So he built a capital in Samaria. He called that uh, now the northern capital of the kingdom of Israel in the north there. And that's going to stand for some time. So verse 25, Omri did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and he did worse 
than all who were before him. Now, before we read past that too quickly, let's realize there was so much wickedness before this time that it was enough to cause the anger of the Lord to bring pretty severe judgment on the kings and their family lines. So this guy, he's going to take them even deeper in sin. Man, that's, that's even more scary. Another thing you notice here, sin is always bad. But when you're in a society where things look dark and you think that it can't get any worse, hold on, because unfortunately, it can. You know, I spoke with an old pastor one time who said that he lived during the 1980s and he saw the wickedness that came at that time and he told his wife, it can't get any worse. And then he said the 90s came along and it was much worse. You know, and we, we probably think the same thing, that it can't get any worse, and yet we said that last year, and things got worse, you know. We just, once, once a spiral of sin starts, it's terrible. Somebody made this statement about sin. Sin turns us into monsters. If we, we continue to walk down that path, that's what it produces in us. You have no idea how much wickedness can live inside the human heart. You know, we hear a lot of the atrocities in the world today because of the social media and internet. We get so much information. So we find out a lot of stuff, all the wickedness going on that maybe we didn't know about before. But I'm sure there are many more monstrous and diabolical things going on that, than we can even imagine. And if we heard some of those things, we probably wouldn't even be able to sleep at night. And yet the Lord sees man's wickedness every day in all of his monstrous ways but he is long-suffering and patiently tolerates those things while he is waiting for people to get saved. Let's look at 2 Peter chapter 3, and I think we'll end up there because of our time. But I tell you what, uh, this is a, a passage that we probably need to go to often in our days and remember. 2 Peter chapter 3, and look down to verse 8. But beloved... Do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, talking about his return, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us. That's why the Lord hasn't returned yet. And the reason is he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And you know, you can remember that verse too as we look at some of the kings as Lord gives us time to go through some more of these guys down the road. And you think, well, how can you let this guy, he's evil, how could you let him rule for 20 years? And the Lord is saying, you don't understand, I'm hoping he gets saved. I'm giving him time. I know he's in a lot of wickedness, but I'm giving him time. And that's hard for us. I know we like to make a quick judgment and throw somebody away and say, they're never gonna turn, but we don't know that. We need to keep praying. And asking the Lord to, to open those people that seem so hard and so hopeless. Let's, uh, we'll stop at this point. We'll pick the Lord willing the first kings up again next time. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for the great patience you had with us. Thank you, Lord, that you didn't return before we had a chance to see Jesus as our Savior. And Lord, we pray for those people, that the ones we know, the ones we love, that seem to have such a hard heart. And they don't seem to be interested in the things of the Lord. We ask you, Lord, to continue to go after them, please. 
continue to, to chip away at the hard heart they have and allow them to, to see and to grasp the truth that Jesus is the only way out. He is the Savior. So, Lord, again, we thank you that you waited for us. We pray that you give us grace. Help us to be very patient with people as you are long-suffering. And that we pray, Lord, give us opportunities to give the gospel to folks. And let us not judge them or make a decision whether they deserve to hear it or they will hear it. Let us just speak the truth in love as you called us to do. So we give back to you all praise, glory, and honor in Jesus' precious name. Amen.